reste imbécile. Tu ne peux pas regarder où tu vas. Espèce d'imbécile, tu ne peux pas regarder où tu vas. Espèce d'imbécile, tu ne peux pas regarder où tu vas. Espèce d'imbécile, tu ne peux pas regarder où tu vas. Espèce And what did you just say? I just said, hello, my name is Bella. I am 10 years old. My Chinese zodiac is a pig. What you've just heard are a few of the voices and languages that fill the summer air at language immersion camps around America. If you're a parent with children or a grown-up with a desire, you just might discover the perfect place to be this coming summer to learn another language. I'm Steve Levine, the founder of America the Bilingual. In this podcast, I'll give you a capsule version of the road trips we took to some of the leading language immersion programs in the country. And then I'll take you on a side road to one of the excellent smaller local programs that you might be able to find close to home. With me is Mim Harrison, the America the Bilingual editorial and brand director. Hola, Mim. Hola, Steve. Why don't you tell our listeners where we'll be taking them today? The first stop is Concordia Language Villages in Minnesota. Next is a school near Hartford, Connecticut that's part of the nationwide StarTalk program. Then we head north to a village in Nova Scotia that's home to Université Saint-Anne. Then it's back to the U.S., first to Dartmouth College in New Hampshire, and then to Middlebury College in Vermont. We'll be retracing some of our steps by presenting highlights of the episodes that we did on each of these programs. And of course, we'll tell you how you can listen to the full episode for each of them. Then we'll take you to somewhere new, a camp called Camp Lingua, just north of Miami, to hear how they do language immersion. But right now, we're off to Minnesota, and our first stop, Concordia Language Villages. university professor. I, I'm a Spanish professor, so <laughs> that was my next question, which you're not just the ordinary parent, so you are a professor of Spanish, and so have you spoken Spanish to your girls growing up in the home? No, th and this has been sort of an embarrassing part of my family life. I'm David Knudsen. I'm a professor of Spanish at Xavier University in Cincinnati, Ohio. I met David last summer up in northern Minnesota at Concordia Language Villages. In addition to interviewing deans and former students, I asked to interview a parent, and this parent turned out to be something of a surprise. When my daughters were very young, I tried, I tried to use some Spanish with them when we were alone. But uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of social linguistics, a lot of identification, and, and they just pretty much refused to let dad speak these strange words that he didn't use with anyone else. So, uh, how, do, how do we resolve this problem? Uh, I knew about Concordia Language Villages. Where are we? We are at El Lago de Bosque, one of 
our Spanish language villages. I'm speaking with Jennifer Spear, who heads the French, Italian, Portuguese, and Spanish communities at Concordia. Wait, I have to interrupt you, Steve. You said you were talking to Jennifer, but earlier you called her Charlotte. Yes, you're right. I'll get to the two names in just a bit. We have seven villages around the end of this lake, Turtle River Lake, and each one is designed to replicate the cultures of the languages spoken. Each village also tries to represent different parts of of the countries that speak that language. For example, here in the Spanish language village, we have a set of cabins that are designed after Central American housing and villages, and then another hill of cabins that looks like Mexico, La Hacienda. Jennifer told me there are plenty of beautiful camps in America, and there are other summer language programs, but no place combines the two as well as Concordia. We can go into depth in things like STEM or theater arts. The Italian Village, for example, had the Metropolitan Opera group from Minneapolis come up and do a week of special aria and opera teaching. They do similar things with sports. In sports, the German program hires young German coaches who work with German kids all year round. They come over here and are our soccer coach, teaching and coaching soccer for four hours a day, all in German. So what's different about Concordia? We have a ratio of staff of one staff member to four villagers. So when you think about that ratio, you realize the opportunity for interaction is so much greater. And it's so fun to see in a 10-year-old who might be here for the second summer for, of two weeks. And all of a sudden they realize they just spent the entire day operating, negotiating, uh, having fun in the language, and they're comfortable in it. They operate year-round, offering programs for adults, for school classrooms and their teachers, and even for families to be immersed together over a weekend. Jennifer told me even parents get headaches and sometimes think they need a break. But then they don't want to leave because then they get used to it and they start to realize they're comfortable in this and they, they can ask to pass, you know, they can ask for the rice at the other end of the table. They start to feel really successful and confident. And you see this reaction whether it's in a seven-year-old or a 70-year-old. Jennifer has had 30 years of experience at Concordia, starting as a villager herself and then becoming a counselor and a French teacher. She introduced me to someone on the Concordia staff with even more seniority. I am Diana here at the Lago de Bosque. My real name is Diane Tess. So, another Concordia person with a, quote, real name and then some other name. Patience, mi amiga, I'm getting there. I asked her the same question I had asked Jennifer. Why can't students just learn languages at their schools? There's a bond at camp that doesn't happen in any other kind of community, right? Because you're doing all these fun things, but you're doing it here in Spanish. And now we uncover the mystery of the two names. Finally. Each villager and counselor at Concordia chooses a new name. Here's Jennifer. When I began as a villager, I think I chose the name Elise. I just thought that sounded really pretty. And that happens sometimes. Kids come and they see things on the list and they think, oh, I'll try that name. And then when I became a counselor, the French staff told me, oh, you kind of look like a Charlotte. So I was like, oh, d'accord. Je m'appelle Charlotte. And I've been Charlotte in the language villages since. It's not only that you learn the language through names that are culturally based, but 
you step into those shoes of a French speaker, right? And you become that French speaker. Steve, at the very beginning of the podcast, we hear a father talking about how his daughter asked him in Spanish to have breakfast. That was David Knudsen, right? Right. He has twin daughters. And when you met him at Concordia, it wasn't the girl's first summer at Concordia, was it? No, in fact. This is the fifth year. I'm dropping them off today. Uh, and how old are they? They're 13. 13. I have twin daughters, uh, Miriam and Lydia. They, uh, they love it here. Uh, every, every year, they're kind of nervous when I drop them off. But when I pick them up two weeks later, there are tears in their eyes. They're hugging their friends. It's a really, really nice scene, and they want to come back next year. That's such a nice story. So how would you sum up Concordia for someone who's thinking of doing a language immersion summer? Concordia is a great place for youngsters from 6 to 16. And as we saw with the twins, many of them return year after year, building friendships as they build their language skills. Plus, the two-week programs are easy for most families to fit into their summer schedules. So if you're looking for a different kind of family vacation or just a different kind of camp for your kids. Concordia is Camp Plus. You can hear the full podcast. It's episode 37 on the America the Bilingual website. So now we're leaving Minnesota to go east to one of the schools that runs the Star Talk program. So for people who don't know anything about StarTalk, um, what is it? StarTalk is a summer program for students and teachers in critical languages trying to build capacity in the United States for those less commonly taught languages. And it's funded by? The Department of Defense and was started by the National Security Agency. That was Rito Oleksak, who runs two StarTalk programs, which happen to be in Glastonbury, Connecticut. StarTalk summer programs are free to students and teachers, paid for by the Department of Defense. 10,000 jobs. That's the number of jobs currently unfilled within American intelligence agencies because they can't find bilinguals with working proficiency in critically needed languages. Can you guess what some of those languages are? Um, I would say Arabic and Persian and probably Turkish. That's three out of 11. What other ones? 11. Okay. How about Russian and Korean? Right. So that's five. All right. Um, Okay. I give up. What are the other six? (laughs) Swahili, Urdu, Dari, Chinese, Hindi, and Portuguese. Would not have guessed Portuguese. Mm, Me neither. Rita introduced me to her colleague who took me around Glastonbury High, now converted into something else. We really have transformed our second floor into sort of uh, our Chinese headquarters, if you will, for the summer. I'm Jimmy Wildman, and I am a Spanish teacher here at Glastonbury High School during the regular year. And then during the summer, I run the Star Talk programs. Unlike sleepaway total immersion camps like Concordia or Middlebury, Star Talk programs are day camps. Here's Jimmy. So it is a four-week program. Our secondary students are here from 9 until 3 each day. 
At Glastonbury, there were about 100 students in the Chinese program up on the second floor and about 25 students in the Russian program on the first floor. They do get out of the classroom. Rita joined us, and she and Jimmy told me about their trips to the big city. The Russian students went to Boston, and the Chinese students went to Flushing, New York. Why Flushing? Flushing has a, a Chinatown. I'm trying to imagine what this is. So, like, 100 kids get off buses <laughs> in Chinatown yep. and start, doing, start speaking Chinese. All in Chinese. Oh, wonderful. Uh, I next got to meet some of the youngest students. My name is Bella Weedman. And, and what are you studying here? I'm studying Chinese. It's my sixth year in this program. Your sixth year? I will be going into sixth grade. Okay, so, wow, you've been doing this a long time. Yes, I have been. <laughs> how's, your, how's your Chinese? <laughs> I, I think it's pretty good. Oh, it's not pretty us. good, it's better. It's so good. <laughs> better than I've been all in of us. Class all those years. Bella's friend said she is their star. You can see a picture of Bella and her friends in our episode notes. She still has it. She's still writing things down. I have it. Could you say a few things? Okay. And what did you just say? I just said, hello, my name is Bella. I am 10 years old. My Chinese zodiac is a pig. So, Bella, uh, why do you want to learn Chinese? Well, it started out, I wanted to uh, order Chinese food takeout. <laughs> That's how it started. But have you done that? Yes, and now I am um, hoping to work for the government. I asked some of Bella's friends why they were learning Chinese. Oh, um, well, I kind of, uh, uh, this is embarrassing. <laughs> well, it's actually, no. I either want to work for the government like her or just just do Chinese, just learn Chinese because it's useful. Yeah, yeah like, it's like a really growing language. It's like the number one. For, like, like, no, it's number one for yeah. most speakers yeah. and second for most native speakers. I had a more recreational reasons for wanting to do it. I just wanted to do it so when I go to China, I could speak Chinese. Oh, I but government is good too, definitely. I want to do something involves the government. Like, I want to be, like... I don't want to be in the army, but I want like help people that like need help and time. Refugees? Yeah, like that type of stuff. So Steve, this was just one of the schools that basically turns into a Star Talk school for the summer, correct? Right, Star Talk programs can be found throughout the country. In that regard, they're very different from Concordia and the other three schools we'll be visiting. And another thing is that the other schools are also affiliated with a particular university, but StarTalk programs align with a local school in each community. That's right. StarTalk is essentially a day camp, but what a day it can be and what a way to learn the most critical languages that the U.S. needs for international diplomacy and defense. If you would like your child to learn one of these languages, this is the ideal way to do it, especially since these languages are not usually offered at school. Listeners can hear the full podcast on Star Talk. It's episode 38 on the America the Bilingual website. But 
now we're going to leave the U.S. and cross our northern border into Canada. To Church Point, Nova Scotia. Where the students will be speaking Surmont Francais. The third summer language immersion program is at Université Saint-Anne. Our associate producer, Becky Bray-Rankin, joined me for this interview. As we mentioned, this program is devoted exclusively to French, which just happens to be what Becky teaches at Lexington High School in Massachusetts. So, Becky... Um, describe where we are. We are in the middle of fog, uh, but we're on the ferry. We left from Portland, Maine a little bit ago, and we are on our way to Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. So we're somewhere out in the ocean. Where are we going? We are going to St. Anne's, uh, which is a school in Church Point, Nova Scotia. Um, And we know about St. Anne's because it's got the French immersion program, French summer camp. Luc Tardif is the director of the Summer Immersion School at St. Anne's and also director of international recruitment for the university overall. I asked Luc to describe a bit more of the place. Yeah, we're in Church Point, Nova Scotia, which is, it's a village. It's a French village located in the municipality of Clare in southwest Nova Scotia. And we're at Université Saint-Anne, which is a, um, it's a French university. It's the only French language university in Nova Scotia. We're, we're actually one of the smallest universities in Canada. So it's a fully French immersion program for which students have to sign a contract, which says, I will not speak any other language than French for five weeks. And if they slip up and speak English? Oh yeah, they sign a contract. Yeah. And if they don't, we, if we catch them three times, they have to leave. And it happens. Yeah, last summer was, I think it was seven students. It doesn't sound like fun when I say that. People are like, I don't want to go to your school. But <laughs> but it, it, it is the reason why it works. And, and to be honest, a lot of those who leave want to come back. Even if they're mad at us, they want to come back. We asked Luke where his students come from. This year, out of 182 students, I think it's between 30 and 40 American students. It starts at age 16 and it goes to... <laughs> whatever <laughs> yeah yeah but Luke confirmed that most of his students were high school and college aged except for the teachers we asked Luke how he first came to St. Anne's I came here to work for five weeks 19 years ago I was living in Quebec City at the time and I came here and it's a village and at that time there was no leaves on the trees it was very foggy and there's no one around I was like where am I So I always say that the first day I cried, but the last day I cried again because I didn't want to leave. I had the best five weeks of my life. And it happens to almost every single person that comes here. Isolation seems to be a common success factor for immersion programs. And Luke says St. Anne's isolation in a Francophone town, together with a small student population, brings something very special. And part of the magic is the productive struggle of having to do everything in French. Luke told us it's common that students will say they got more out of five weeks at St. Anne's than five years in classrooms. I think it's the model that works. It's the fact that you leave class, you go to the cafeteria, uh, so you still have to order it in French. And 
the five weeks here will give you six university credits in almost every single university in North America. It's sort of like a bubble in the universe where you're happy for five weeks. It's a bubble of joy. So Steve, it seems that this program provides immersion both inside and out, since the villagers all speak French. So for students who are not able to do a study abroad program in France, this might be the next best thing. That's right. It's five weeks of all French all the time, particularly for students who are juniors or seniors in high school or in college. The five weeks they spend here will give them an enormous advantage. It's also a very good value, which you'll hear more about on the full podcast. It's episode 41 on the America the Bilingual website. And now we're going back to the U.S. To Dartmouth College to check out the John Rossius method of learning and loving a language. Can I sit in the back or stand in the back? I'm sure you can sit in the back. There's room in the the back of his room, so. Thank you for letting me sit in the back of your class. Then I watched you moving around. I thought I was watching a yoga class or an athletic class rather than a language class. What's going on there? Well, the whole point is to put the language in a real context. I'm Tamara Smith, and I am a master teacher and a TA during ALPS. ALPS stands for Advanced Language Programs, intensive 10-day sessions held in the summers at the Rossius Center at Dartmouth College in New Hampshire. The drama, the finger snapping, the emotion, it's all part of what's called the Rassius Method. Almost since I started researching American bilingualism, I heard about John Rassius. Alas, John Rassius died in 2015 at the age of 90. Turns out, Tamara sought out Professor Rassius when she was still in high school and applying to colleges. It was like meeting a rock star for me. He was larger than life. He was like a tidal wave of love. Today, the Rossius Center is run by John's daughter, Helene. The way the schedule works is the day, it's an eight hours classroom day, and we have three hours of master class that frame the day. So the morning at eight o'clock, we have a master teacher who's generally a professor, kicks off the day, gives people grammar, delivers some cultural, but really keeps at them hard. It's a hard, long hour because the next three hours are followed by what we call drill, small group intensive language sessions. And the drill, is a way to bring it all home. I next sat down with another of John Rossius' students, who today is a professor himself. John Rossius was the most dynamic professor I ever met at Dartmouth College. My name is Joel Goldfield. I'm a professor at Fairfield University. Joel explained that traditional language classes had a bias toward reading and writing because, frankly, it was easier for teachers to grade papers outside of class. But what about for speaking? 
What if there were a system of providing immediate feedback on speaking so we could make error corrections like that in a snap? In fact, part of this repetition method where we act out things and speak and get feedback all within a split second relies on a snap to let us know that it's our turn to speak. There are also the master classes that Helene mentioned, and there's lots of theater too. Here's Joel. How do you show that you want something? How do you show that you love? How do you show that you appreciate what your students are learning? It shouldn't be a very dry, sterile approach. It should be some sort of joie de vivre. And John Rossius created an error-friendly environment. It's fine to make errors, but in the techniques that he has, they all have a means to provide immediate, if it's oral, immediate feedback. I like that error-friendly rather than error-free, which just isn't going to happen for most of us. Let's go back to Helene Rossius. I want to ask you again, though, about your father. Why did so many students love your father? Because they didn't feel like they were strangers. Is it going to be a challenge? Is it a challenge now, keeping on his legacy when he is gone? Yes, I know. The challenge... The challenge, I think why I felt like I saw him in the room there, is sometimes I really need his advice. So I think for me, emotionally, I would love to be able to kick it around with him, you know, where it's direction, what are we doing? But I do feel like we know what we're doing, and we've got some incredible team members that are helping with that. So, Steve, who would you say are the best candidates to experience the immortal John Rossius? This is a great place to come if you're a busy adult. I think of it as 10 days of a tidal wave of love and language from one of the greatest language teachers of all time. So, it's a short course for adults, right? Short, but intensive and effective. There's lots more to the Rossius story in the full podcast, which is on the America the Bilingual website, Episode 36. And now let's head to Vermont, where there's a much longer language course for adults. We're going to experience the grand dame of summer language immersion programs, Middlebury College. As we were researching summer language immersion programs, I kept hearing about Middlebury and the Middlebury magic. I did want to see it for myself. And I got there on July 2nd, just as the language schools were opening up all over the campus. It was a beautiful sunny day in the 80s when I sat down in the book-lined corner office of the dean. I asked him, what is this Middlebury magic? (laughs) I guess we're asked this a lot. I'm Steve Snyder, dean of the Middlebury Language Schools. I would say two things. One, it's certainly the language pledge. And clearly from the very beginning, that's been what we now call our competitive advantage. But the fact that we enforce it more strictly than anyone else and that students and this is the second thing i would say is that the students are the magic because they come with a seriousness of purpose that i don't think any other institution gets out of their language students they take all levels but they seek out students who are very serious about learning people who come obey the pledge 
We rarely have to discipline anyone. In signing this language pledge, I agree to use French as my only language of communication while attending the Middlebury language schools. I understand that failure to comply with this pledge may result in my expulsion. The students are streaming in to take the pledge in the next 24 or 48 hours and uh, plunge into this experience. So it's very exciting for us to see them. I am Elizabeth Carnes Keefe. Associate Dean of the Middlebury Language Schools, one of the Associate Deans. Dean Carnes Keefe went on to say what they look for in students. Uh, someone who can open their heart to this experience and plunge in and as we've said in the past, take the language plunge as you take the language pledge to really immerse yourself in the broad experience of language and culture. If they use their phones, they must be set to the target language too. We have a story of students going down to the local hospital and refusing to speak to the physicians in English because they've taken the pledge. They take it very seriously. We know now that they experience immersion stress, so it's not easy in any way. But again, we have the motivated students. I also interviewed the Middlebury Dean of Operations, Tim Page. Okay, so wow, If uh, maybe if language schools were uh, military, you guys would be, what, the Marines or the SEAL team? Uh, we've been called many of those, and actually we have um, uh, many of those people are in our program. So we, we have a solid uh, experience, solid uh, history of working with our U.S. government. And they send their students to us for the same reason our students come to us without being compelled to, to learn their language. The deans I spoke to while stressing how hard it was also stressed the rewards. Here's Dean Snyder. I'm not sure that, that dreaming in another language is, is sort of the... the transformation par excellence, but um, students will constantly say that they, at some point, had a breakthrough and realized that suddenly the language they were studying had become incredibly natural to them and that they were able to communicate, particularly with the people within their school, their faculty members and their other students, um, in a way that they hadn't thought possible even a few weeks before. Dean Snyder told me they test students before and after the summer program at Middlebury and the tests show more progress happens in Vermont than in the same amount of time abroad. I asked Molly Baker about that. What's the ideal student for the Middlebury Summer Language School? Great question. We get all different types of students who come through Middlebury, and I think that's, that's a good thing to remember. You know, there's no exact type. You do have to be a high school graduate all the way up to 80 years old. So we had twin 80-year-old sisters who did the program two years ago. Today, Middlebury has 11 language schools, eight of them at the original Middlebury campus in Vermont, and three language schools at their Mills College campus in Oakland, California. Last summer, they had a total of 1,500 students. Molly Baker told me about one of their students who seeks to help migrants on the border with Mexico. We have a student this year who is an immigration lawyer, and right after this, he's moving to Texas, and he wants to be able to communicate with his clients better, and he wants to really help help those individuals right on the border. I asked Molly why she does what she does. I do what I do because of those stories. We get absolutely amazing students, and I read about, I mean, it's going to sound cheesy, but they are going to save our world. (laughs) 
and you read these stories and I'm I'm convinced, you know, after reading the news every every single morning and then you read an application and and you kind of think it's going to be okay. <laughs> Dean Snyder told me something else interesting about the Middlebury program. What was that? They test students before and after they've completed their program, and the tests show that more progress happens in Vermont as far as language acquisition than in the same time abroad. Why does he think that is? Uh, You know, Middlebury isn't like St. Anne, where the whole outside community speaks another language. A lot of it, he says, is about having the freedom to make mistakes. That error-friendly environment again, which we also talked about with the Rossius program. Yes, they would rather have students make mistakes in the language than break that pledge. You know, Steve, in another of the podcasts that you did earlier, you talked about how many of the students who do go abroad are spending less time there than in the past. It's not necessarily the full school year anymore. No, it's often just a matter of weeks. There was a piece in the news recently that speaks to exactly what you're saying and how many U.S. students will go abroad to work on a specific project, sometimes it's a community project, and they simply do not have the language skills, nor do they have the time to learn the language while they're there. It makes programs like the ones we've been talking about all the more important and attractive. So who should take the Middlebury program? We know they have to be high school graduates. I would say Middlebury is the place for adults who are really serious about their language proficiency, It's a pain-and-gain kind of experience where it won't be easy, but it will definitely be rewarding. Yes, six to eight weeks of total immersion. Middlebury was a program that the author Tennessee Coates chose before he moved to Paris for a year. Beth told me he came speaking no French whatsoever and left talking away in it. Listeners who want to get the full magic of Middlebury, it's episode 35 in our podcast series on the America the Bilingual website. We hope that we've given you a good sense of these five major summer language immersion programs, Middlebury, Rassius, Dartmouth, Universite, St. Anne, Star Talk, and Concordia. But they're not the only places you can spend summer learning a language. There might very well be one near where you live. They're some of the very best. In fact, I found one in my backyard in South Florida. That's where we're headed next. So I was lucky enough that I spent my summers in Spain. So that's how I got to be bilingual. That's what we're trying to give our children. And it's hard because we don't have three months vacation and we don't speak to each other in Spanish. We're just used to speaking English to each other, but we want to pass on the language. That's Ricky Perez. He and his wife, Giselle, are both Latinos living in the Miami area. Ricky's parents are from Spain and Panama. Giselle is from Dominican Republic. They're trying to get their children, ages five and six, to be as fluent in Spanish as they are. As Giselle says, We want them to learn Spanish and and be as proficient in Spanish as possible. We try to push it, but it's still, they kind of fight it unless they're amongst their peers and they notice that everybody is speaking Spanish. 
It's why we were so happy with this camp. It's that they kind of almost tricked them into, into being in a Spanish camp. It's called Camp Lingua. It's tucked away in a quiet corner of Broward County, Florida, just north of the multilingual metropolis of Miami. We always tell our kids, a bilingual person is worth twice. That's Andreina Galavis, the founder of Camp Lingua. The campers mostly are going to be people who want their children to learn a foreign language because the kids here go to school in English and it's so easy to forget their native languages. The parents send them here because they want to, to give the gift of a new language or to keep their native language. This is the gift that the Perez children and many others enjoy. Michael Perez is the logistic director at the camp. He told me how the children here have a different kind of language immersion, wrapped around horseback riding, soccer, canoeing, and other sports. We wanted to take the camp to another level with the immersion of the languages through sports and activities. You got your kid, you know, in a classroom through all the year, and the last thing you want to have your kid thrown back in another classroom. Art and music are also part of the program. Here, too, language learning is taking place, but it's wrapped around activities that kids enjoy. When you add that uh, fun factor to the equation, that's when you get the kids involved. Now their heart is into it. So now they want to you know, spend the time and listen because they're having fun and they don't know that they're learning. They can loosen up and, and express themselves. And so give me an example in Spanish. Estoy aprendiendo español. Uh, how would you say it um, in Spanish that we're going to go ride some horses? Vamos a montar caballos. Ricky and Giselle say the approach is working for their children. Because it was a lot of coming home and talking to us about the horseback riding and the canoeing. But what they didn't realize, they were doing it all in Spanish. You know, we would hear them singing songs in Spanish when we weren't paying attention. That's music to Andreina's ears. Remember, after World War, the immigration from Europe, it was not nice if you spoke other language than English. Now it's the opposite. Now, with all the globalization, it's good to speak many languages. And I'm very glad that my parents realized that. It's a win-win for both the parents and the children, as Michael says. They're learning. They're having fun. They're in a safe environment. They're connecting with nature. What else can we give to our kids? Ricky, the parent, says that being around other children their age, doing the same thing, provides the peer pressure he's hoping for. They didn't come home fluent speaking Spanish, but it's, you know, it's all being reinforced. And they're seeing other little boys and girls speak Spanish. Ricky and Giselle have another reason they want their kids to be comfortable speaking Spanish. We want, you know, our children to speak with their grandfather and their aunts in Spanish when they go to the Dominican Republic and when they go to Spain. So. America the Bilingual podcast is part of the Lead with Languages campaign of ACTFL, the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages. My thanks to all of the schools who participated in this episode and the many people I spoke with at each of them. A special shout out to Jennifer Spear at Concordia, Rita Oleksak at Star Talk, Luke Tardif at St. Anne, Helene Rassius at Rassius Dartmouth, Molly Baker at Middlebury, and Carlos Plaza who introduced us to Camp Lingua. This episode was written by Mim Harrison. Fernando Hernandez does our sound design and mixing. Our social media maestro is Carolyn Dowdy. 
Graphic arts are created by Carlos Plaza Design Studio. Becky Rankin is our associate producer of the podcast. Music in this episode, Quasi-Motion by Kevin McLeod, was used with a Creative Commons attribution license. Our thanks to Epidemic Sound for helping us make beautiful music together. If you like this episode, please share with a friend and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And check us out on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. For America the Bilingual, this is Steve Levine.